Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Authentic Messengers. My name is Catherine Van Wetter and I will be your host today. Every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, I will be interviewing different authors from our new book, Life Sparks. All of these interviews will be archived, so if you miss one, you can go to www.blogtalk forward slash authenticmessengers.com. Make sure that you also go to our Facebook page, Authentic Messengers, and give us a thumbs up or any sorts of comments that you would like to leave. We always love hearing from you. And if you would like to be considered as a co-author for another Spark series, you can go to AuthenticMessengers.com for more information. Today, I'm so excited to be interviewing Nate Roberts. Nate is a principal real estate broker licensed in the state of Oregon and owner of the Timeshare Guys. So hello, Nate. Nice to talk to you. This is the first time that we've actually got to spend some time together. How are you today? I'm fantastic, Catherine. So happy to be here. Well, it's wonderful, and I'm excited to hear about what you do and especially what the timeshare guys are. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and how you got involved in it? Sure thing, yeah. You know, I uh, I started vacationing in timeshare with friends, families, and, and uh, got to travel all over the United States and wanted to learn more about it, and they didn't really tell me too much. So I started in the timeshare industry. Timeshare, for people that don't know, it's just a, a smaller ownership than owning, <laughs> excuse me, than owning a full house. You could own just a week, a year, or a week every other year and go and stay in a vacation home instead of a hotel when you go on vacation. So it was a really wow. neat way to travel. Yeah. And, I, and I like connect to the with other people. For sure, for sure. One of the coolest things was that, you know, they had one where they had the same week every year, and his parents got it when they were, I think, you know, seven or eight years old. They'd go back to the same place, and, you know, it was Myrtle Beach, 4th of July. Not a bad place to be if you're growing up on the no. East Coast. And, yeah. uh, and they grew up kind of with the families that had that same week, you know, so it was so it was a really neat deal. And... um so I went to work for the resort and found out that they don't really uh, help owners sell them. And obviously there were a couple million timeshare owners when I first started. Now there's about 6 million timeshare owners just in the United States and about 1,600 resorts. And if the people that sell them, the resorts themselves, sell them to the owners, don't help the owners sell them when it comes time, then who helps them do that? So I I started the timeshare guys to help the owners that already had timeshare either learn more about it and get more out of it or uh, sell it if they need to or rent it or just get the most out of it because I love to vacation and I think it's a fantastic way to vacation for, for folks that it works for. Wow. And to be able to know probably people get to know different people who they timeshare with and then it becomes a community event. It, it, in and of itself with the different folks who meet each other along the way. That would be really cool. It really can. Well, you know, and the other thing is just having that extra space when you go. You know, if my friend's family was staying in a hotel or something like that, they wouldn't have been able to say, hey, why don't you invite me to come along? He just needs to pay for his airfare. And uh, But since they had such a big place when they were going on vacation, it was like going to their home, you know, so it was just 
no big um, deal to have one more person come. So yeah, it's been really <laughs> neat, and it's really, really made an impact on my life. You know, I've been, uh, I, I grew up in Oregon. I'm a third generation homesteader, and uh, I've been to 38 states now. So I'm not quite 40 yet. Wow. I'll be 40 next year, and uh, I'll make it to all of them at some point. But we got a lot of stuff, <laughs> a lot of places to be on our list. Well, before we start talking about what your chapter is about, just before we started the show today, you mentioned that you just came back from, a, what, a 5,000-mile road trip? Is that how far that was just recently? Yeah, that's what, that's what the odometer says. Yeah, we're just now today, and I'm not even quite home yet. I'm actually at the, the Portland airport getting ready to drop off a good friend to head back to Vegas. And uh, But, yeah, we started on the 25th of June and went all over the West Coast, touch base in San Francisco and the Redwoods, and went down and saw some family in San Diego, stayed there for a little while, met my parents and, and more family at Disneyland, and were there for almost a week, and, and uh, touch base in Vegas. We lived down in Vegas for about 10 years, so we've got friends that we consider family in that area. And it's it's just been it's been a true joy to be able to do that. But you know, part of it's the industry that I be in that that I chose to be in, and also just the lifestyle choices that we've decided. You know, vacation is a very important yeah. part of our part of our life. Yeah. Well, and this is going to go so well into what your what your chapter's about. In that, it sounds like you're really starting to find the sweetness of life. And I know that part of what I know about you is that you've dealt with diabetes. And one of the STEM results of what diabetes is, some of the the metaphor of diabetes or the metaphysical part is the sweetness of life. And so wondered if you could talk a little bit about how what how the challenge of living with diabetes has been and how it's caused you to write your title your chapter which is called time to grow or time to go now excuse me yeah it's time to go now yeah you know i i didn't know that i had diabetes growing up i uh i found out when i was let's see i was 23 when i found out that i had diabetes and i have type 1 diabetes and that's the type where your pancreas doesn't work at all to make insulin. And so basically mm. anything that has sugar or uh, or carbohydrates, a lot of people don't know that carbohydrates actually convert directly to sugar in our body. Um, anything that has that, you need your pancreas to work to, to be able to offset that. And uh, so I found out when I was 23, I was single. I was living in New York at the time and, and came home and I'd lost about 40 pounds and and uh, my mom said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I have to go to the bathroom all the time. All the time I had to and I was always thirsty. So she said, let's go wow. into the doctor. And the doctor said, yeah, you've got diabetes. And I was actually kind of relieved because I didn't know much about diabetes, but I knew that it was something that I could live with. And it wasn't cancer and it wasn't, you know, AIDS. It wasn't some of the other things. I didn't know what was wrong. I knew I was really sick. I was six foot three and 165 pounds. There was something wrong. And uh, yeah. so, you know, I found out that way. And then as far as living with it, uh, you know, what I've learned is that we just have to, when it comes to food and diabetes specifically, we have to um, do everything in moderation. 
because even though I'm a diabetic, I can I can pretty much eat whatever I want, but I can't have a whole cake. I might need to have just a bite of cake, not even a slice of cake <laughs> or something like that. But, you know, right. so it's it's learning to to take it for what it is. And one of the neatest things about it, if there's anything that you could be considered neat, I guess, is that uh, when you really look at managing diabetes, it's really just about living healthy and eating healthy mm-hmm. and exercising and having a balanced life. And, um, you know, that translates into to other things. But because of the, the, the diabetes, it's, it's really made me be more awake to, uh, you know, not taking anything for granted. I could go to sleep one night and my sugar could drop too low and I could just not wake up. And uh, wow. that's just the reality of life for me. So we yeah. really try to focus on being present and living each day to the fullest. And when we have the opportunity to go on a 5,000-mile road trip, we're not waiting for tomorrow. We're going now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And what a wonderful what a wonderful way to teach your children. You know, I, I, as you were talking about what type 1 diabetes is and the carbs, the simple carbs and the sugars and thinking about what many people's diet consists of, unless they've decided either for health reasons or for other reasons to eat differently. So much of our foods are simple carbs and are loaded with sugar and the invisible sugars that one may not even be aware of. So it's, it's amazing, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, I didn't know that there were things that I couldn't eat that were just natural too. You know, if I have too much fruits or too many watermelons that can affect me, but definitely the way that here we eat in the United States anyway with the, the convenience foods and the restaurants and the prepackaged stuff, the only thing convenient about that stuff if you're diabetic is it tells you if they made it right, you know, exactly what the carb count is on it so you can really measure your numbers right. But there's, you learn real quick there's not much nutritious about any of it. And uh, yeah. and who knows if that's what is part of what caused it. They, the, the doctors don't even know how I got it for sure. There could be a multitude of reasons, mm. but they don't. Right. Normally you're born with it. So it's it's right. really interesting to see this, this rise in both type 1 and type 2 diabetes, yeah. Well, and it's it's also I've often heard that we can spend a lifetime wondering why something happens rather than you know how to work with it or how to adjust our lifestyle. And my sense is that we're all given something in our lives that may challenge us. That if we look underneath it rather than tipping into depression, anxiety, which sometimes can happen if you get a diagnosis of any kind, but it can also be laden with blessings and a different way to live one's life. So it sounds like you've really learned to turn it around rather than being bummed out that you are a victim of diabetes. It sounds like you've really overcome that within yourself. Well, it's a daily battle, right? And I do definitely try to do my best sitting around and whining about it. It isn't going to change anything. <laughs> and it might make my, my sh- uh, blood sugar numbers actually worse. You know, one of the things that's that's really been telling is that uh, my blood sugar can change whether I eat something or not, just on, you know, mm. really emotions, actually. And I'm, pre- I'm pretty blessed. I've I've got a lot of the neat new technology like continuous blood sugar meters and all of this neat stuff. 
it really helps out that people didn't have even, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And a lot of people don't have it now because it's, it's pretty expensive technology. But it's amazing to watch these readings that you get. And, you know, if especially if I start getting stressed or agitated about something, that can make my blood sugar increase just by itself. And so yeah. uh, managing diabetes has forced me to manage other things that I didn't even really acknowledge as a problem before. But once you have the numbers well, if, in front of you, it is what it is. <laughs> well, if you don't have those fancy meters for folks that are out there listening, do you have any sort of symptom as far as knowing if your blood sugars are off? Do you feel more anxiety or do you feel lightheaded or, as you said, pee all the time and drink excessively? Or Yeah, for for me, I mean, it's different for everybody, but, you know, some of the most common things is that, uh, you know, if your sugars are high, that you feel like you need to drink more, that you have um, really a lot of dry mouth, you might start sweating more, um, and you probably have to go to the bathroom more because your body's trying to flush out all this extra sugar that you have, and that's the only line of defense that it's got at that point. So those are the things that happen to me when, when my sugars are high, if my sugars are low, I get really shaky and I can start to get disoriented and dizzy. And um, that's a sign that I need to actually eat something with sugar. So, you know, a lot of times I'll have like a glass of orange juice or milk or something and that can bring my sugar level back up. So you just want to keep it in the middle and, and really just be in tune with your body and pay attention to it and know that if something hurts or if something's not feeling right, that there's there's something's wrong, you know, and so pay attention to yeah. that stuff. And a lot of times we just, we try to cover it up with an Advil or something like that. And, uh, you know, um, there's there's other ways to deal with it, maybe more water. More water is, is amazing what more water does for me. Hydration is a <laughs> yeah. key thing. And it's amazing it what it does huge. for everyone, right? So yeah. water is a, a great Fantastic. thing. Since how we're made up, depending on how hydrated we are, between 70 and 80% of our body chemistry is water. So it would behoove people to drink more water, yet there's a lot of folks that are really dehydrated. So the name of your your chapter, it's called It's Time to Go Now. And I know from reading up a little bit on you that you had a diabetic coma in 2003 that inspired you to rise up and make the most out of every day. Would you like to talk a little bit about how that, how that coma really had you looking to say, yikes, I better make some changes or it's time now to rise up? Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, well, I I wasn't married yet. I didn't have kids, but I was engaged, and we just moved back to Las Vegas. And, um, uh, you know, I got sick with the flu. It was just the regular flu. And um, uh, I'd only had diabetes for three years at that point. Didn't had never had the flu with diabetes, and I'd only had the flu a couple times growing up. But uh, so I ended up you know, finally going in and, and by the time that I went into the hospital, my sugar levels were just too high and I ended up being in a coma for three days. And, uh, oh, wow. so when I woke up, you know, my, my wife was, was, uh, or not wife yet, but my wife now. And, uh, she was standing there and, and, you know, she was crying and I'm like, what's going on? 
you know, she kind of told me that I'd been in a coma for three days. And I was, wow. Anyway, so, uh, you know, that was a, a big wake-up call because the last thing that I remember, the doctors told me basically everything was going to be okay and uh, um, they were just going to get me hydrated. And the next thing I know, that, that was what I was being told. So, um, you know, it just made me a lot more aware of how serious of uh, a medical condition this is and that even though I was only 26, I had something that uh, I really needed to pay attention to. And, um, and, you know, I'd always traveled and done all those other things, and so it just kind of reinforced all that stuff, that the important Mm -hmm. things in life for us aren't going to be, you know, necessarily what everybody else might deem as important. The important things for us are, are experiencing life now and living it now and not not necessarily uh, ignoring planning for tomorrow, but instead of only planning for tomorrow, we're, we're, we're doing it now in case tomorrow really doesn't yeah. come. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's really quite amazing how cavalier so many folks are in – in having a calendar set out, you know, to the next year or the following year. And while I recognize making plans is is important, there is also sometimes the missing of the day-to-day opportunities. And that wonderful saying, while we were making plans, life had something else in store for us. Right. And really to to recognize that every moment is yet another breath for us and every moment is another opportunity for us to to live life to its fullest. You know, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about vacation because, uh, you know, when when I'm traveling, everything's new, and it's it's not it's not like I live in a bad place. I mean, I live in a five star resort in uh, in Central Oregon that's nestled up against the Cascade Mountains. It's beautiful every day there, but uh, I, I'm more alert and I'm more I pay more attention when I leave and and go explore other places and see what they're doing in these other areas. And then I see new stuff every time that I come back home. It might have even been there for a year or two, but somehow I missed it before and now I saw it. And uh, and so, um, you know, it's it's not just vacation when we travel. We travel as a lifestyle, really. We have a home base and we're not completely nomadic lifestyle, but we um, we really appreciate it and, and enjoy that. Yeah, I think they call that living with eyes wide open. <laughs> with having the eyes wide open right. and the filters or the veil kind of removed from your eyes to see that there is so much infinite possibility out there, and every day is really and every moment is a precious is a precious opportunity. So it's awesome that you're living it. I'm curious what what the biggest challenge is for you with living with type 1 diabetes? Um, you know, the biggest challenge is, is keeping keeping the numbers within the lines, keeping the blood sugar within the line. It, it really varies. I mean, you can be perfect one day, and uh, on the 26th hour, it's way high or way low. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's really the biggest challenge I think. And, and, um, just staying, so it's really about staying consistent, right? And, uh, consistency is key to a lot of things in life. And that can be hard to do when you want to live by the seat of your pants and just drive all over the place. (laughs) So, yeah. And I can, 
I was just going to yeah. say I can I and I didn't mean to interrupt that it it could be a little nerve-wracking also since you do have all your gadgets to keep track of the numbers it could be a little nerve-wracking to be looking at it and wondering if you looked at it again the numbers are going to be up or down how do you manage not being an emotional wreck with wondering you know cuz that in and of itself could create some anxiety yeah, you know, um, I, I think that you just get comfortable with it over a certain amount of time. I, I, Even without the gadgets, I'm pretty in tune with how my body's feeling, and I have a pretty good, good idea of whether at least I'm high or low. I might not know how much I'm high or low, but I know if I need to eat something or if I should wait on eating stuff or drinking stuff. And, and so, you know, as far as the anxiety, it was bad in the beginning. Um, it really... You know, I run a website design company, too, and that one's called Nocturnal Energy. And I think that really um, started with the diabetes stuff because I was nervous about going to sleep. Was, you know, I was afraid about rolling over on my pump and having it have too much stuff that just you shouldn't have any reason to be afraid of, but I didn't know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so, you know, so in the beginning that was more. But now, I mean, I'm I'm – going on 16 years into this so um it's just part of my life at this point but there's definitely when we go on vacation i mean uh i live with three girls my wife and two daughters and um they have all their bags and i have just as many but mine are mostly medical supplies or or you know those sorts of things that are coming with us so and you know there's other challenges too because the insulin needs to be at temperature control that can't get too hot and it can't freeze and those sorts of things so you've got to have the right sort of bags and packing supplies to take with it so so there's there's those sorts of things but as far as creating daily anxiety and those for me personally it's not something i know for some people that's a huge challenge and, and it can be really debilitating for them yeah well, and it's conscious awareness, isn't it, really? And not being so on the edge that you're freaked out to go anywhere and not live life, rather recognizing just like life, blood sugar or sweetness goes up and down. And to know, rather than freak out, to know that you can get it back to balance again. Yeah, so it's a yeah great that's really yeah. Life. Ed- education definitely helps. I mean, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot of learning and a lot of frustration finding out oh, wait, I thought I could eat that food, and now I really can't eat that food. Now what do we cook with it? Those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, going out to dinner is challenging. But the nice thing about it, like I said, about going to a place, a restaurant, they normally have their their nutritional information, and you can gauge it off that and uh, and kind of have a good idea. But but uh, there's not a lot of restaurants that cater to, to diabetics. You know, even if you go into a place and have salad, a lot of these places have salad dressing that will have 60 or 70 carbs. That's too much for some people. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's those sorts of things. But my family doesn't miss out. The kids still get, you know, the ice cream and candy every once in a while. They're more conscious of it than maybe some of their friends are because they know how it affects me. But luckily right now mm-hmm. it's not affecting any of them, and hopefully it won't. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask if it was a family affair as far as the eating, 
how you eat, you know, if everyone is eating, because it sounds in some ways eating, eating a diet that's low in fat and low in carbs, well, you didn't say low in fat, but low in carbs and low in sugar, that it would just be healthy all the way around and would deal with weight issues and insulin issues, et cetera. So is your family eating similar to how you're eating other than the occasional ice cream and candy bar? Most most of the time, yeah, we we have family meals together, and uh, one of the beautiful things, my wife and I both work from home, and so uh, we're able to have family dinners and able to be with our kids for those times. So now both of them are in school full days uh, throughout the year, and of course this is summer break right now, but during uh, summer, or, I mean during the school year, it's, it's dinner together, and then you know we pack their lunches or whatever. So. The kids aren't on as strict of a diet. You know, they'll have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and those sorts of things. And uh, But normally when, when we have dinner together, everybody's eating the same thing. And uh, so it's, it's whatever it is. You know, instead of spaghetti, we use spaghetti squash. And uh, right. it's, we find different substitutes like that. And there's some, there's some great food out there. You have to find it, but uh, there's, some, there's some great stuff. So... And, and it, it really is true. If everybody lived like they had diabetes, they'd really be uh, having a very healthy diet, you know. Yeah, and to be creative with the food source. You know, it reminded me when you talked about packing lunches. I have two sons, and when they were both in high school, I used to pack my kids' lunch. There, There's lots of therapy, I'm sure, for that, you know, being a mom who packs lunches for their high school <laughs> yeah. students. For their teens, but my my one son, my young son, used to say, "No, mom, you don't need to pack my lunch." I said, "It's okay, honey." I'll pack. So I kept packing his lunch, and then when it came to selling our home, I looked in a little crawl space going down to the garage, and there was it was loaded with his lunch bags because I guess when he was going down to the car, you kind of throw the lunch bags into the little crawl space. And then yep. in the bathroom, in one of the drawers there, there were more lunch bags in there. So I guess my lesson was, you know, with packing lunches, sometimes it's best at that age that kids will make healthy choices. Um, and it was just kind of funny. It brought up a memory. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of funny. You had to be there to, to experience it. So, um and also we talked about some of your biggest challenges with living with it. What has been your, and you have alluded to it somewhat, but just wanted to drive it home, what, big, what some of your biggest lifestyle changes have been after you found out? You mentioned some of it, but I wondered if there was more that you'd like to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, well, before I had diabetes, you know, I was single, and, and uh, so I drank more. And uh, I didn't really have as much of a reason to quit. Drinking wasn't necessarily a problem for me. Um, but after I had diabetes, you know, it's, it's even the stuff that doesn't have carbs in it with alcohol affects your blood sugar differently. So yeah. um, now if I'm out with folks, I might have one or two drinks or I might not have any at all. It's, it's definitely not, hey, let's go out and party type stuff. And that probably would have changed because yeah. I'm a dad now anyway. You know, and that's probably something that really changed. But that was definitely a lifestyle change. And uh, definitely trying to be more consistent and physically active. Um, that's the lifestyle change. But um, 
you know, it's really just just being present. I think that's mm-hmm. the, the biggest thing and not trying to be planning what the next big deal is going to be all the time. The next big deal is what are we doing today? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the biggest change, really, because before I was right. um, very, not that I'm not business-focused now, but um, I just re- reorganized my priorities back to what they need to do family and, and spend whatever we're doing to, to make money and those sorts of things from there on out. Yeah, and boy, we live in a culture that is do, 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 and even multitasking is something that, of course, people multitask yet. We also recognize that it, multitasking is people usually aren't very good at it, even if they think they are. And so learning to live in such a doing culture and, again, coming to one point of attention and paying attention to what's right in front of you, and that includes picking up, again, the opportunities that are right in front of you. So that's awesome how it's spanned out to so many areas of your life. Are there other ways that it's affected you? lifestyle and and I know you said living more in the moment and recognizing every moment is a blessing and yeah I um you know I mean diabetes is is something that you do it's it's not a part-time job it's more than a full-time job right so it's um I think that it's affected everything and everyone around me you know with the lifestyle mm-hmm. choices that they make and and those sorts of things. It's obviously made me uh, focus more on that community and, and made me more aware of, of stuff that just um, everybody can be dealing with because most people, even a lot of my friends, don't necessarily know that I have diabetes. It's not like I wear a T-shirt or, or go and advertise it to everybody. Hey, I've got diabetes. Uh, it only would even come up if we were going to eat something together and they were asking me if I wanted to share and uh, most of the time then it doesn't really come up. Uh, so um, it's, but as far as my immediate family, it's definitely made an impact with them. And uh, so those are, those are the main ways, I think. And, uh, yeah. So that would bring me to the next question, and I, you've alluded to it somewhat with saying how important having fun is why you think vacations are so important? Well, I think that it gets you out of the routine. Even though consistency is important, you know, you gotta you gotta get out of the routine so that you can go and, and create the memories, you know, I mean uh, that's what we're here for in the end. At least that's what I'm here for. I don't want my friends and family to look back and think, Oh yeah, Nate, he was great, he just worked all the time and, and uh he was so good and all this stuff for, for working all the time. I want them to remember, uh, yeah, I remember closing down Disneyland and having all the bright lights on the castle and the picture in front of it, you know, with Mickey. I want to remember those things and uh, them to remember those things. And I want them to have as many of them as they can. We were just looking through our phones. And, I mean, I think that we had seven cameras just between my wife, my Ten-year-old daughter, my six-year-old, and I uh, on this trip, and just on my phone, uh, it was at 1,600 pictures. I think in 30 days, 
<laughs> and on her phone, it was another, I think, uh, 900 pictures. And then on the camera, there were another 2,400 pictures. I mean, you wow. know, the vacation, when we get back from the vacation, that's just the beginning of, of what else we're going to do. Because then they make their, their scrapbooks and their storyboards, and we relive it all over again. And, and uh, you know, Grandma and Grandpa don't travel that much, so we go and share the stories with them. And and vacations are, are my job, too, my share guys. So uh, being able to go and experience those different places, I'm able to talk about them. Uh, on an educated level but I'm talking to folks that want to go and, and go see Oceanside, California or go see Legoland or, or asking me if Legoland is better if they only have one day. You know, now I, I can tell them. So vacations are important for us and for me for a multitude of reasons. Most importantly, for creating the memories with my family and, uh, and friends on a professional level so that uh, I can be better at my job. Wow. Yeah, Disneyland's a pretty wonderful place. So I take you were down in Anaheim. You went down to L.A. for Disneyland, right? You go to Florida. <laughs> yeah. You know, wow. well, everything was West Coast this time. So it was Redwoods and we, we did a training program before I went there for that. And maybe I should have because I, I'd never really thought about it, but my phone has this health tracker on it. I don't know how accurate it is. But uh, at the end of day one, which was July 2nd, it said that I'd done 17.2 miles and that 80% of that was running. Day two was, I think, 14.8 miles, and day three was 16. I was just thinking, you know, if they would just put roller coasters at the end of marathon, I might might be able to do that again. I don't know. Nate, you're kind of going in and out a little bit. I'm not sure. Huh. Are you there? Is it better? Yeah. Yeah, it's better. I, I think you were going on a journey, <laughs> going far away was, and then I coming was back. back to Disneyland. Yeah. That's, I knew that, and I was trying to catch up with you, and, and then you'd come back again. <laughs> it's, it's that 60 that. So where where was your favorite vacation? I'm sure you're in the midst of so many memories right now, but did you have a favorite vacation? Yeah, one of them was Whistler uh, up in Canada. Oh. I got to go up there yeah. with uh, friends in college, and, and I'd never downhill skied before. I cross-country skied and water skied growing up, and uh, but... Anyway, with college buddies, of course, I'm, I'm going to learn how to downhill ski. So I rented the gear, and I start getting on the lifts. I don't know how to read any of the signs or anything. And they are oh. like, yeah, we're going, we're going up. So we get to the top, and I find, out, I find out what a double black diamond run at Whistler looks like. And that's basically like straight down through a canyon. So I learned to ski really well that day. I think I only fell four times coming down. But it, it's basically point the skis down the hill go fast, and the faster you're going when you fall, the less distance you have to go after you gather all your stuff again to get down the hill. So That's right, uh, kind of egg beaters all the way down. Exactly, right. So it was fun, and I loved it now. And uh, so there was a great trip, and uh, that was that was neat. We got pulled over yeah. by customs. We were driving a little Porsche 944, and we had it loaded with all this ski gear, two college kids from Oregon, I think they wanted to check us out. 
So luckily we were being good and we didn't have anything, but that that was an extra two and a half hours that we weren't really expecting. Well, I'm glad you were clean and you made it over to the other side so we could have this conversation today. No kidding. I might still be in Canada otherwise. I don't know. That's right. <laughs> Although I heard it's not a bad place to be, actually. Some people what is want to move best... there, I hear. I heard that, and they're building a wall, but that's something different. Um, what is your best travel tip? Uh, best travel tip, you know, look at all the options and um, know that there's there's ways to go that people had never even thought of before. But um, if you can plan early, you can usually get some good deals. And if you can plan late and be very flexible, there's amazing deals. And uh, one of the best ones that I was ever told, and I haven't had a chance to actually try this one out yet, but I've, I've had it confirmed by about six or seven people since I was told this, is if you want to cruise and you have flexibility in your schedule, if you don't have to get on the ship, the best way to get a deal on a cruise is just to pack your bags and go down to the dock. So uh, then ask for the, the, the room person there, and basically they load those cruise ships up full whether the, the rooms are all sold or not because they just order wow. that way. And so if there's an extra room and they've got a full ship, do you think that they would mind having somebody else jump on? Probably so, not. <laughs> if you got flexibility and you're just driving around and <laughs> want to go on a cruise, and you li- or if you live near a port, check that one out and see if it works. But um, um, there's so many different travel tips. You know, uh, I've got timeshare-specific tips. We've got rental car tips and airlines and and a whole bunch of stuff, and I've got a lot of those there on, on Timeshare Guys on the website. But my best would probably be that cruise. Folks were saying they're between 85 and 90% off at that point. Yeah. Yeah, years ago I took my kids on the inside passage up to Alaska on the World Explorer, and that was wonderful because they, the, they turned the casino into the largest floating library and you know it was a very small ship so we could slip into places where the big cruise lines couldn't and it was an amazing experience to to be on that and to experience Alaska so yeah cruises can be pretty amazing if you find the right ones and go in the area that you really want to go in so your website sounds like it's got some great tips so it's the um, the website exactly is timeshareguys.com. Is is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the website that I've got for travel stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Timeshareguys.com. Nice. A lot of it there is, is timeshare-related, of course. And, you know, if, if your folks that travel quite a bit or, or want to travel more, there's fantastic deals on the timeshare resale market as opposed to going and sitting through a two-hour presentation where they might give you a free buffet or show ticket like that, you basically deal with a broker like me that can deal with any resort and answer your questions about how the different systems work because they're all a little bit different. And then you purchase it from an owner just like you would if you were buying a house. Somebody else has already paid for it. And the amazing thing about the resale market on timeshares is the, the deals that are out there right now. And, uh, you know, you can pick up ownerships that originally sold for fifteen or $20,000 for a couple thousand bucks. And so wow. it's something that, that there's some fantastic 
opportunities there. It's not right for everybody. It needs to be something that you'd use if you're going to have timeshare. And, and uh, timeshare is something that actually can help people make that commitment to go on vacation. So that's one of the things that I like about it. It's already paid for. Yeah, it kind of forces you. They're going. You. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's got yeah. a full kitchen. So if money's tight, just load up the groceries that are at the house or stop by Costco on your way out and take them with you. You don't have to go out to eat every time. So anyway, that's uh, that's that's the other tip is to look into that if um, if you're somebody that travels more and see if it's something that's right for you. Yeah, because the Airbnb is so popular, and I know that's usually just how is it, for instance, and excuse my ignorance with this, how Airbnb would be different than a timeshare, other than you're not buying into it. I suppose it's just one time, sure. right? With Airbnb. Yeah. Well, with yeah, with Airbnb, basically you're renting from an owner directly, and it may be their whole home. It may be a room in their home. They may still be there while you're staying with them or not. And a timeshare is going to be more like a hotel, except that instead of staying in a hotel room, you're going to have, a, a depending on the resort, a full-size condo or home or cabin or townhome or something like that. So... For instance, over at Eagle Crest, the unit that you would stay in as a timeshare owner is a two-bedroom, two-bath um, townhome, sleeps six people, and is either on the Deschutes River, a view right over the Deschutes River, or uh, wow. of the Cascade Mountains over the golf course. And you have a full kitchen. You have a, a gas barbecue on the deck. and So you have all those sorts of amenities. Now, they also have a hotel unit for rent at Eagle Crest. And that would just be your typical hotel unit. It would have two beds. It might have a, uh, a mini refrigerator in it and your bathroom, you know, there in the same room. So that's, in, you know, Airbnb, you are dealing with the owner directly versus having, still having a front desk staff, still having resort type services. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. 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 And, and then working so with some... Okay. Yeah. It's what were you saying? There's absolutely nothing wrong with Airbnb, but some people, you know, uh, prefer having the additional services that resorts might offer. But Airbnb, we've used. I don't think it was Airbnb. It was maybe um, VRBO or something like that before. We we've used those on some of our vacations. Just because I like timeshare and I sell timeshare, doesn't mean that's how I stay every time I go. But I like it when I can. Right. Yeah, there's so many opportunities for people to be able to see the world and to see the United States and um, so many opportunities to do that. So hoping that listeners will be able to take advantage of what they've learned today. And as we're, we're beginning to wrap up, we have probably 10 more minutes or so. Is there more about your chapter that you would like to talk about? Did we share that enough or... Is there more that you, know, you would I like think, to share? I think this all kind of relates to what the chapter was. The chapter in the book really tells a little bit more about, you know, the the actual experience of that coma and goes into a little bit more detail of that and and uh, also just, you know, how I really started traveling and, and uh, I touched on it briefly. I was invited by, you know, my... Uh, I grew up in Oregon, and my best friend's dad was in uh, Chapel Hill in North Carolina, or actually Fayetteville in North Carolina. And so he got the opportunity to go out to UNC at Chapel Hill, 
and um, it that's where he decided to go. He made it on the track team and everything else. But this was a friend that I'd had since first grade, and uh, I mean we were best friends. So um, his dad knew that it was going to be a, a definite life change for both of us, and he said, "Hey, you know why don't uh, why don't you just have Nate come out with you? You can stay a couple weeks at the house, and then we can go down to the Myrtle Beach for Fourth of July." And, and uh, he can stay with us down there because they just bought a, a penthouse unit then that slept, I think it was eight or 12 people. Took up half of the top of the resort when I finally got over there. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was just amazing. It was the first time I'd ever seen, you know, dolphins that weren't in, a, in an aquarium. He's waking me up at 530 in the morning because there's dolphins jumping just straight out our window. And, you know, they've oh. got the sand volleyball set up like right on the beach and you don't do those sorts of things necessarily at the Oregon coast. It's cold here, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and first time talking, touching the Atlantic ocean and figuring out that uh, there is an ocean that is actually like as warm as a pool. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was really neat. And, uh, yeah. and so that's what really, you know, sparked the thing with my interest in timeshares was that trip. And I'd always kind of had an interest in real estate and advertising. And so, it, you know, my chapter in the book kind of talks about all that and how um, I don't know if I really went into, you know, I went down the corporate path and uh-huh. uh, I had big opportunities in corporate stuff. But I just decided at a, a fairly young age that, uh, you know, there was an opportunity here and um, it was something that I was passionate about. And that there was uh, a way that I could actually do something that that I was really interested in and build it for myself instead of building somebody else's dream. And um, wow, yeah. And we're still doing it Sweet. fifteen years later. And you're, yeah. Wow. How does the nocturnal energy blend in with this, or does it that other business that you have? Yeah. That well, you know the. The way that I was going to change the the, uh, the timeshare industry was by doing it with online. Uh, mm-hmm. Back in 2000, 2001, the Internet was still a baby and brand new, and there wasn't hardly any information available about timeshares. So I started building my own website, and uh, and people started asking me, hey, how are you doing that? Well, I, I did it by going and getting big, fat books and learning how to code. And uh, and so more and more people asked me to help that, and I help with marketing consultant and do some web development now and, and application development. But that's really how I built the timeshare guys and my timeshare resale business was 100% online. And uh, you know, it's um, it's been the internet is a, a super powerful tool, obviously, and and so I just leveraged that, and I was one of the first people to do that. I had. Um, um, a guide that I put on eBay for how to use RCI points, which is a specific type of timeshare membership. And that that guide made me a uh, top 5,000 eBay reviewer. And so um, so I've, I've been, been online for a long time and have a lot of different tips and tricks and, and have a few select coaching clients that I work with. But that's where nocturnal energy came from is that I've been doing it all for my own business and building my own lead list and, and uh, generating my own customers online now for over 15 years. And yeah. 
Well, congratulations on fulfilling your dream and having your family involved is awesome. And I'm really glad that you're involved with Authentic Messengers and with the book coming out. It's really awesome that you are. I'm, I'm really excited to be part of the book. and It was uh, uh, awesome to receive an invitation to be part of it. So um, looking forward to it coming out. We've only got a couple weeks left here. Yeah, projected for listeners out there, the projected date is August 11th. And to keep track of where we're at with that, you can go to www.am.com, that's for authenticmessengers.com, to be able to be one of the first to sign up for it. And it's exciting. I'm excited to read the different chapters and to read your chapter. Do you have more that you would like to say before we begin wrapping up? Or do you are you looking at the highway and wondering what traffic's going to be like down that old I-5 corridor <laughs> around this <laughs> time? Traffic, traffic <laughs> is always on my mind when I come to Portland. That's one of the beautiful things about living in Bend. Oh, whoops. Uh, yeah, traffic is horrible in Bend, too, so don't come over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, but I, I think that we're good, and, uh, yeah. Thanks so much, Catherine. I really appreciate the time today, and it's been a pleasure talking with you about this stuff. It's been wonderful talking to you, too, and I look forward at some point meeting you when I'm down in the area. And for listeners out there, please do go to our blog talk radio um, forward slash authentic messengers. Not sure if you need to put in the radio. It could just be blog talk forward slash authentic messengers to listen to the other archive shows. And um, please pass it on to others who you think may be interested. And next week, it's already August 2nd. And next week, I am interviewing Selena Maitreya. And for over 30 years, she has been a spiritual student studying many philosophies and spiritual practices. She's drawn to the simple yet powerful idea that we are all one that our natural inheritance is love and that our actions affect every single energy entity. And so please, um, please join us next week to learn more about Selena and her chapter also in our life sparks series that's coming out again, August 11th, hopefully if all goes well. And again, if you would like to be considered as a co-author for another Spark Series book, you can go to AuthenticMessengers.com for more information. And we're going to be wrapping it up now. It's always nice to just follow spirit as far as how long to talk. And sometimes it's not as long as the full hour, and I really honor that. So as we're moving through some turbulent times and folks may be struggling emotionally and otherwise, um, please know that all we do have is love, that we are all in this together. And if you find yourself in a place where you need support, not to hesitate and reach out to folks who may be able to support you. And until we meet again, August 2nd, make it a great week and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Catherine. Take good care. You too. Thank you. Bye.